Hello, Share Life First. I want to apologize that this reading is delayed by a week. There were obstacles that prevented me from releasing this reading on the date originally promised, and those obstacles are now in the past, so I am moving forward. Thank you for your patience and understanding. I so appreciate your support. Again, share lifers, welcome to the reading of noise. This week we are reading part one of the 12th chapter titled, Is That the Sound of Blessings Falling? In chapter 11, The Power of Standing Still, we read how important it is to shut down all the noise that is distracting us from hearing God when he speaks to us. He is constantly speaking to us, but we must be still and listen. Find a quiet place or quiet time where you can hear God speaking to you through the Holy Spirit. If this is your first time here, I encourage you to start at the beginning. The first 11 chapter readings can be found on my channel. Playlist is titled Noise, or you can listen to them on my podcast, Share Life. So now, let's continue reading Noise. Starting on page 112. An aspect of the reformation of the church in the 21st century is the new wave of teaching on prosperity that is sweeping through the church over much of the Western world like a whirlwind. The pendulum was swung from one extreme to the next. And where we once held on to the belief that poverty was holiness, now we have grabbed on to the new doctrine which suggests that as believers, we have this right to financial prosperity. It's the kind of teaching many believers have embraced with open arms. I admit, I am one of them. After all, when you've spent most of your life living from paycheck to paycheck, the very thought of God sanctioning the right for you to become financially prosperous can change one's perspective. There has always been this cloud hanging over the church for decades, where it was a question as to whether or not one could be rich and be a Christian, or whether one can be a Christian and strive to become rich. The subject of Christianity and money has always been a gray area for many believers. And depending on which denomination you grew up in, that decided how much you tolerated or rejected the idea of prosperity and Christianity. Within my Baptist background, where I grew up during my early years of attending church, it was always taboo for a Christian to desire to be rich. Of course, in my church, there were rich businessmen who were Christians, but they were permitted to be rich without judgment simply because they were businessmen. Apparently, that was more acceptable. But to be a regular working stiff trying to become wealthy was frowned upon in my Baptist denomination back in the day. In fact, I was made to believe that the poorer you were, the more God loved you. 
Personally, this has always been a tug of war issue mentally for me. While I was being taught that poverty was holiness, my bills were demanding that they be paid. And since I was always busy trying to make ends meet, I never took the time to even consider if my financial struggles were was God's will for my life. And no matter how hard I tried, I could never make those ends meet. And I always fell short. But that was okay because I was pleasing God by being broke, wasn't I? Ironically, while I was being taught that poverty was holiness, I was never given any scripture to support that. So in my spiritual immaturity, I just accepted it. Being broke as a single man was difficult, but manageable because I really only had to worry about feeding and taking care of myself. Yet deep down inside, there was a longing to have more. However, once I got married and began raising children, it was the kind of slap of reality that stung hard. I became angry at God because there I was doing what he commanded, but I was drowning financially. I was a broken and confused Christian. At the same time, I sat back and watched ungodly people succeed financially while myself and many, many Christians, Christians whom I knew, struggled financially. I was like Jeremiah, who cried out about having to watch the wicked prosper. Righteous are you, O Lord, when I plead with you, yet let me talk with you about your judgments. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why are those happy who deal so treacherously? Jeremiah 12, 1. I read the verses which prosperity preachers use in today's preaching that says, and my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus. Or he's given us all things that pertains unto life and godliness. Yet whenever I brought up the idea of being rich with pastors or preachers back then, they would remind me of how Jesus told his disciples that it is hard for rich people to enter into heaven. Again, with my limited understanding of the scriptures and my spiritual immaturity, I took what they told me at face value. By the way, back then, preachers were not wearing $500 suits, driving fancy cars, or flying in private jets. Many of the pastors and preachers I grew up with were struggling financially, and many even held down regular jobs in addition to serving as pastors. But as I began to grow in the word of God, I began to notice that within that famous illustration with the rich young man and Jesus, I realized that Jesus never told the young man that it was a sin for him to be rich. In fact, before Jesus even mentioned his money, he wanted the young man to see where he was spiritually in relation to his riches. So he brought up the idea of keeping certain commandments, all of which the young man said he kept. But Jesus knew the real reason why the young man would not get into the kingdom of heaven. It was the fact that his wealth held more importance to him than doing whatever was necessary to make it into heaven. Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Matthew 19, 21 and 22. 
The very next verse is the billboard preachers back in the day, even some today, use as the reason why Christians should not be seeking to be rich. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Matthew 19, 23. Notice, Jesus did not say that it was impossible for a rich man to enter heaven. He said it was difficult, especially for those rich folks who love money more than anyone or anything else. To me, that is the dividing line between a desire to be rich and greed. I know a few wealthy Christians who constantly give to those who are in need and they don't make a scene about it. I also know of some well-off individuals who must sound the alarm whenever they give to the needy. You know, those folks who call all of the television stations and newspapers to go with them into the ghetto to give out food items. Yet the debate over whether or not Christians should be rich continues. As I got older, I discovered that money is needed for just about every aspect of our lives. We need money for food, for shelter, for clothing, for transportation, to raise our kids, to live our dreams, and even to be a blessing to others. Even those who live in convents and who have taken the vow of poverty still have to eat and drink, and someone pays for that, even if those living there don't do so directly the convent must have some kind of financial support to do those basic things. The book of Ecclesiastes says that money answers all things in Ecclesiastes 10 19. It took me a while to realize it, but even Jesus' disciples collected money during his ministry on earth. The Bible says that Judas, the one who betrayed him, was the treasurer. I don't think you need a treasurer or an accountant if you don't have anything to count. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it, John 12 and 6. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor, John 13, 29. My question is, how did the disciples obtain money? As far as these scriptures indicate, the disciples left their jobs to follow Jesus in Matthew 19, 27. One can only assume that people gave them money, not because Jesus asked for it, but it was done out of gratitude or just because they wanted to support the work that Jesus was doing. These women were helping to support them out of their own means, Luke 8, 3. The same thing that happens today when someone has been blessed by a particular minister or ministry, that person has no problems financially supporting that ministry or that minister. I believe that Jesus also used that money to help others. So I've concluded that money in itself is not bad and desiring to have it is not evil. It is only when we love it and hold it above God when it becomes a problem. Besides, even to be in a position to be able to bless others, we need to be in a financial position to do so. If you're broke, how can you help someone who may need something to eat? If you can hardly meet your needs, chances are you will be somewhat hesitant to help try and meet someone else's needs. 
So even in my early years of confusion about whether or not Christians should have money, growing up and taking on responsibilities as a husband and father has changed my perspective. Yet the debate about Christianity and money continues for many believers, and the enemy has stepped in, began to use this confusion and debate to create a distraction that is creating more noise than any of us could ever understand. Along came the new teaching of prosperity for Christians, and it was like opening a double door to a small, stuffy room where there were no windows and fresh breeze came rushing in. This new doctrine seemingly got its birth in the non-denominational charismatic church, but over time it began to sweep into the known traditional churches and they too have welcomed the idea with open arms. Suddenly Baptists, Lutherans, Catholics, Anglicans, Brethren, Church of God and others latched onto the prosperity gospel that has been spreading like wildfire. Even some members of the Holiness Church whose main focus has always been on living a holy life and not being concerned about material things have grabbed hold of the message of prosperity and are willing to recite the scriptures necessary to claim their blessings from the Lord. The teaching on prosperity has created such a loud noise within the church that Christians are finding it hard to hear anything else. And the devil is having a field day as believers suddenly became more concerned about material things than spiritual things. Why is this a noise among believers and used as a distraction by the enemy? Because money controls the world in which we live. They say money is power, and even for those people who are not too concerned about power, having money affords them some level of independence and freedom that's difficult to explain, but understood well by those who have experienced such financial independence. Let's be clear, I am not saying that there is anything wrong with wanting to be financially prosperous. Just about every one of us would like that. As I pointed out earlier, the Bible tells us that money answers all things in the earth, Ecclesiastes 10.19. Trust me, life is much better with money in your pockets than it is with an empty wallet. Anyone who has been on both sides of the fence can attest to that. Perhaps it is this common ground of being able to relate to not having enough and then flirting with the idea of having more than enough that has made the prosperity message so appealing for many people. Money is a universal language. And for most people, money represents a certain status. It represents not just a lifestyle, but it represents our place within this world. It helps many people feel as if they belong. Having money means the ability to live life, no matter how small or how big, free from fear or worry of not having enough. We all can relate to money and the need to have it. However, when prosperity has become the only focus of preaching on a Sunday morning or at a Wednesday night Bible study, then we are missing it and we have begun to filter in the noise around us. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. Ecclesiastes 5 and 10. This statement came from King Solomon, a man who was considered to be one of the richest men who ever lived. If you don't think that too many Christians have misplaced the teaching on prosperity, just listen to them speak among themselves. Listen to how they approach the teaching on tithing and giving from the prophet perspective of a lottery and somewhere in the back of their minds 
they see God as the one spitting out the balls that would hopefully call their winning numbers. Why do I say this? Ask many Christians why they tithe. While they would initially give some spiritual answer about it being a command of God, read between the lines and you will discover that many Christians only tithe because of the promise of a return. They quote Malachi 3.10, which states, bring all the tithe into the storehouse and see if I would not pour out a blessing that you would not have room to contain it. Who doesn't want that kind of blessing? However, if no such promise was ever made on tithing, many Christians may not even bother to tithe. Even the principle of giving has been distorted among today's money-hungry believers. They only give with hopes of getting back. After all, the Bible does say give and it should be given unto you, right? These people actually sit down and calculate what kind of return they should expect to receive on their 10% tithe. Doesn't that sound like playing lottery numbers? You put in a dollar hoping to get back $100. You may not want to admit it, but that is what Christians have been taught in many churches these days. Further, many people in church give because preachers have beaten them across the head with the rationale that if they refuse to tithe, God will come after them and will let the devil loose against them to destroy them financially. So many church members tithe out of fear of making God angry or fear of having the devourer destroy everything they have if they refuse to obey and tithe. In the meantime, Christians are confused. As many complain about tithing and not getting a blessing too big for them to handle, thousands of Christians would be quick to admit that they have, they have given until it hurts. But very rarely have they received from anyone anything that was pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Our motives for tithing and giving will testify against us. Both of these practices must be done out of love. Love must be the only motivating factor when it comes to giving. However, thanks to what I call pimps in the pulpit, Christians and churchgoers have begun to look at giving, tithing, and money in a whole new light. It is almost impossible to watch Christian television these days without being bombarded by the majority of preachers dressed in their $1,500 suits asking you to sow a seed into their ministry while promising you a huge return on your seed. Some are even bold enough to promise you healing in your physical body. These millionaire preachers who live in mansions have a number of vacation homes around the globe and who may have a fleet of jets. Look into the camera lens and promise you that once you plant that seed, they guarantee you a turnaround in your life. What disturbs me about that comment is how can someone make a guarantee like that? They don't know the people who will be sitting in a seed. They don't know if these people are born again, if they are carnal Christians, if they're living with addictions. They don't know if these people pray or read their Bibles. So how can they guarantee a turnaround in these people's lives with a financial seed? They tell you that your seed will stop the devil in his tracks, 
from messing around with your finances and with your life. Although I've never found anywhere in the Bible where money stops the devil from attacking Christians. They promise you that once you plant that seed, there will be people out of the clear blue who will stop you on the street and give you money. Then they tell you tall tales about people who planted a seed of $10 and got a check in the mail the following week for $1,000. Some even have people come on television and give these testimonies to prove that the same thing could happen to you if you go ahead and plant that seed. It's the prosperity gospel on marketing steroids. I know that many will think I am being unfair by suggesting that there are millionaire preachers on television who care only about making money. In an earlier chapter, we agree that there are false prophets. So just as there are false prophets, there are false teachers and preachers on Christian television whose sole purpose is to make as much money as they can. Let's be real and take our heads out of the sand. There is such a thing as predatory prosperity preaching, and it's become the order of the day among many preachers, and I believe that it's a distraction of the enemy. It encourages Christians to be more preoccupied with pursuing material things rather than seeking after spiritual things. Jesus said in Luke 16, 13, that you cannot serve both God and money. With so much focus now on being prosperous and blessed beyond belief, many Christians who are not experiencing those positions in life are becoming discouraged and confused, even to the point of accusing God's word of not being legitimate. They are falling prey to the noise and are beginning to question God's integrity. Why? Because all of the promises these prosperity teachers have made about church members seeing a major return on their sowing have not been coming to pass. Christians are burdened with having to face a sobering reality. Only the preachers are getting rich. And they've achieved it on the backs of poor, struggling, working-class believers, and even off of middle-class, zealous, struggling Christians. I'm sick and tired of turning on Christian television and hearing preachers give me one more excuse or reason why I can't see the kind of prosperity they're experiencing. Either I'm not giving enough, that's a popular one, or I'm not giving with enough joy. Maybe I didn't spin around far enough when I put my money in the bucket. I didn't run completely around the church, or I simply lacked an understanding of the word of God. These are all excuses they give to explain away my empty pockets. But the truth is, the financial blessing many people seek with their giving will never happen because they were given a promise based on a lie, a hoax, a scam. There is no scriptural basis for suggesting that money is a seed that can be planted, which will bring forth more money, healing, or a turnaround in one situation in life. Jesus said that the sower sowed the word. There are no scriptural references for having to pay a preacher or a pastor to pray for you. There are no verses in the Bible that suggest that we give money in order to receive healing. There are no scriptures to indicate that Christ Jesus, the disciples, nor the apostles in the book of Acts ever charged people for a prayer for healing or made people pay for a word from the Lord. 
It's sad to see what has been going on in the Church of Jesus Christ over the years under the guise of ministry. The devil has taken the blessed message and turned it into the prosperity gospel, and he's taken the prosperity message and perverted it into a get-rich scam, and many believers have fallen for it. Am I saying that Christians should not expect to be financially blessed? No, I'm not suggesting such a thing. But I am suggesting that when we have made financial prosperity our ultimate goal in life, and when everything we do is to achieve that, even giving and tithing, then we have lost our way and the enemy has caught our attention. We begin to go down a rabbit hole into a world that's dark, scary, and ungodly. Let me be clear. There are people whom God speaks to through his Holy Spirit to financially bless Christians. It's the way Christians in the book of Acts live, but it has to be a situation where the one praying and the one giving are both being led by the Holy Spirit. It has to be a situation where the ones who have realized that what they have is available to God and not for them to hoard. If you earn a great salary on your job, God is not going to hold that against you. In fact, he wants to use you to be a blessing to those who may not be as fortunate as you. Any kind of financial prosperity we have as Christians is not just to make ourselves comfortable, but to be available to be used under the direction of God in blessing others. That's true prosperity. Well, folks, that is the end of part one of chapter 12. And the next part, part two, I was as long as there's no obstacles that get in my way, I will be able to get it out next weekend. It is titled, Why Aren't Christians Automatically Prosperous? So that's the title, the subtitle of the second part of chapter 12. Why Aren't Christians Automatically Prosperous? And it's going to start on page 123. Thank you so much for joining me this week. I look forward to you joining me, hopefully, next week. 